time to rest, time to refresh, no stress To the city point Giving him your best, nothing like the rest Passing every test, you know he's the one, yeah Taking time to rest, time to refresh, no stress To the city point Giving him your best, nothing like the rest Passing every test, you know he's the one, yeah Taking time to rest, time to refresh, no stress Yo, what up, y'all? Welcome. I am so excited about this new sermon series that we are in for the month of May. It is entitled Foundations of the Faith. And what I'm endeavoring to do throughout this series is to take us bit by bit through these foundational elements of the faith. We get we get super fancy. We get super deep with the sermon series a lot of times here at City Point. But I want to make sure I wanted to make sure that at some point during our calendar year that we take a moment we take a pause and we just make sure that everybody is on board with some of these basics. So we're gonna be talking about things like, who is God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit? Um, What is baptism? What is prayer? How does one pray? Um, What is worship? Um, What does the Bible say about being generous? What is salvation even? And so we're gonna look at all of those things this month. Hope you all will be with us throughout the entire series and look forward to being able to connect with you around these foundational principles of the faith. And so today we're kicking off talking about God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit to kick this off. And uh, we're gonna jump right in right after a quick word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you so much for giving us a chance to come together, um, even though it is digitally, um, to hear your word and to understand more about who you are and who is Jesus and who is the Holy Spirit. I pray that you will speak through me to these, your people, in a way that is real to them, that is relevant, and that is also palatable. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. 2 Corinthians uh, uh, chapter 13, verse 14. Uh, It says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Once again, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In 2010, LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Chris Bosh, three of the top 10 players in the NBA at the time, made the decision to team up on the Miami Heat basketball team. These three had played unique roles on the team, uh, on the team, but once brought together, their talents fulfilled the ultimate goal of winning championships. Chris Bosh rebounded, he blocked shots, and he played the stretch four position. He was the one that was shooting deep and mid-range jump shots. LeBron terrorized defenses by slashing to the basket, then kicking the ball out to open three-point shooters. Dwayne Wade broke down defenses using his quickness and craftiness to make his way to the bucket. All three of them were professional basketball players. All three had the ability to dominate games, but brought together, they played unique roles, and as a result, they achieved the ultimate goal of winning championships. Today, I want to talk to you about God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons, but together, they make up the team that we refer to as the Godhead. Individually, they are powerful, yet they play roles that are complementary to one another for the sake of what they know to be their ultimate goal. All three of them are divine, yet distinct. This phenomenon is called the Trinity. 
Now, now, the purpose of this sermon is not to go deep into making the case for the concept of the Trinity, but I simply for this sermon, for the few moments that we have, want to take us back to the basics. And for the brothers and sisters that are newer to the faith, perhaps it is viewing and visiting for the first time these basics regarding who is God, who is Jesus, and who is the Holy Spirit. First of all, let's look at who is God. Genesis 1 and 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Jeremiah 10 and 12 says, the Lord made the earth by his power. He established the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. In Genesis chapter 1, which is the very beginning of the Bible, we get, we get introduced matter-of-factly to God. We do not receive an explanation of where God came from. Moses, who is the one that is the writer of Genesis, is simply stating that in the beginning, God, or Elohim, as he describes him or calls him, created the heavens and the earth. A few things we should understand about God. The first thing we should understand about God is that although God is often referred to uh, by the authors of the biblical text, um, uh, when he is referred to by them, they are often referring to him using male pronouns. The reality is God is not male, neither is God female, right? God is not human, right? God does not have sexual organs. And so the gendering of God can be thought out thought of as essentially anthropomorphic language. It is essentially where you describe something in human terms so that humans can better be able to understand it. Uh, so just recently, my, my daughter, who was four years old at the time, uh, she was marveling at her tulips that were growing. We had bought her a little tulip plant from Walmart, and she was marveling at the fact that some of them had started to bloom and some of them were taller and had bloomed quicker than the other ones. She said, I think this is the daddy one, and I think this is the mommy one, and this one is the sister, and these are the babies. You see, for her, she understands plants based on her context and, and her human child understanding of the world and of family. And so therefore, Layla mapped on top of plants, right? She mapped human family language because that's what makes sense for her. It is possible that this is what happens in scripture, right? In the midst of patriarchal cultures where men had the power in the family, where men had the power in the tribes, where men ruled the kingdoms, that the way that they would understand and describe an all-powerful, all-seeing, and all-knowing God would absolutely be in male terms. There's nothing wrong with that, essentially. If you really think about it, our elders, they described God using what I would consider to be anthropomorphic language. And they did it based on how they understood God. God didn't graduate from law school, but our elders said that God was a lawyer in the courtroom. God never went or attended or graduated from med school either, but they called God a doctor in a sick room, a way maker, a leaning post, a bridge over troubled waters. People over centuries, over millennia, have grabbed at the best words that they could to describe God. And so you'll hear some people nowadays just simply drop the male pronoun when referring to God. And so instead of saying he said, they'll say God said. Instead of saying, won't he do it, they'll say, won't God do it. Instead of saying himself, they'll say 
God's self. And, and, and let me say to you that that is fine and that is proper. And there are some people who will still use male pronouns because that's the way that they have come to know God. And let me suggest to you that that is fine too. Some people may know, may know father in very unhealthy and very traumatic ways or have never even had a father or father figure in their lives. And so that person may better understand God as a mother. And for some people, that hits differently because some of us watched our mothers make a way out of no way. Some of us experienced from our mothers or grandmothers someone who would never leave us nor forsake us. And so essentially the point that I want to drive home to y'all is that God is neither male nor female, but throughout time, people have grabbed hold of language best suited for them to describe God in human terms. So in Genesis chapter one, we come to know God as creator. God is the creator of everything in the world. Let's talk a bit about, his about God's attributes. First of all, one attribute that we understand about him is that God cannot be fully known or understood. Psalm 145 and three says, you are wonderful Lord and you deserve all praise because you are much greater than anyone can understand. Second thing that we understand in terms of attribute of God is that God is eternal. Psalm 90 and two says, you have always been God long before the birth of the mountains, even before you created the earth and the world. Third thing that we understand about God in terms of attributes is that God is omnipresent. That is effectively a long word, a long way of saying that God is present everywhere at the same time. I remember growing up, I would hear the old deacons pray and they would say, and Lord, please stop by the hospital room 204 and, and go see about Sister Johnson uh, as, if, as if God um, uh, needed to like travel to a place to show up at a place. But the reality is God is omnipresent. Wherever God is going, he is already there. Jeremiah 23 and 23 says, I am everywhere, both near and far, in heaven and on earth. There are no secret places where you can hide from me. The fourth thing we understand about God is that God is spirit. John 4 and 24 says, God is spirit and those who worship God must be led by the spirit to worship him according to the truth. Fifth, God is omniscient. That is a long way of saying, a big word for saying that God knows everything. First John chapter three, verse 20 says, but even if you don't feel at ease, God is greater than our feelings and he knows everything. Sixth, God is righteous and just. Deuteronomy 32 and 4 says, the Lord is a mighty rock and he never does wrong. God can always be trusted to bring justice. Also, God is omnipotent. God is omnipotent. That means that God is all powerful. Finally, Genesis 18 and 14 says, I am the Lord. There is nothing too difficult for me. But those are attributes attributes about God. Let's pivot. Let's pivot. I want to talk to you secondly about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is described as the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is not a thing, but like God, the Holy Spirit is spirit. The Holy Spirit is said to be our comforter. And so when we accept Jesus for salvation, we are filled or indwelt by the Holy Spirit. 
That indwelling of the Holy Spirit is described by Paul as God's earnest, uh, essentially like an earnest money deposit or it is God's deposit on us. In essence, it is marking us as saved, right? Now, now it is tricky to understand the Holy Spirit because in Acts, people are said to be full of the Holy Spirit. Yet we are also told that we are filled with the Holy Spirit when we are saved. Perhaps what is being referenced when the word talks about someone being full of the Holy Spirit, perhaps it is describing that a person was overwhelmed by the exceptional power of the Holy Spirit when they did a particular task. Lastly, let me say to you about the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit plays an important role when it comes to our prayers. The Holy Spirit takes our prayers back to God, the Bible says, with groans and words that we are not even able to utter. Romans 8, chapter, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 26 says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to ask for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Let's talk thirdly and finally about Jesus. Uh, Jesus was born in a small town to a poor family during the reign of the Roman Empire. He was born a Jew, and although we have the record of his birth in some of the Gospels, John lets us know that he was actually pre-existing for all of eternity. John describes Jesus as uh, the logos, is the Greek word that he uses, which is translated as the word or the expression. John chapter one, verse, verses one through three says, in the beginning, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So in essence, John, the writer of the gospel, who, if this is the same John who had been one of the, one of the disciples of Jesus, he believes that Jesus was partly responsible for creation along with God and was there with God at the beginning. In Genesis, if you will notice, if you were to go back and read the creation account in Genesis, you will notice that God is ascribed as saying, let us make humankind in our image. Essentially implying that God is in communion or God is in community with someone else during creation, right? It could have just been, uh, I will make humankind or let me make humankind, but he says, let us, as if he is in communion. So the Bible teaches that Jesus is eternal. Jesus takes on human form, and that is who is witnessed in the first century in Palestine. Palestine. John says in John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. And so just as God is deity, Jesus is also deity. Just as God is divine, Jesus is also divine. Jesus is recorded as saying, if you have seen the Father, you have seen me. I and the Father are one. So now while God doesn't have a gender, Jesus does. We, we don't know a whole lot about uh, the first 30 years of Jesus's life. The gospel writers, when they wrote, were not setting out to write a biography about him. 
Rather, what they were doing is they were attempting to capture the story of the movement that Jesus had started. They had uh, attempted to be able to spell out the things that he had prophesied and how those things had been fulfilled. And they were seeking to establish him as an alternate king to the Roman emperors who claimed to be gods or sons of God. Now, the bulk of the scripture regarding Jesus begins with him at about 30 years old. At that point, he's a carpenter. More likely, he's like a day laborer. He's not like a, a, a contractor with like fancy truck with his, you know, label on the side of it. He is a day laborer carpenter. He's poor and he's likely homeless. He could be heard saying foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He claimed that he was God. He got into, he got into uh, uh, issues and got into it frequently with religious leaders. He did his ministry mostly outside of the synagogues and he went about healing people and proclaiming that the kingdom of God was here. And he was compelling. He was inviting people to be allied with this new kingdom, this kingdom of God, rather than any other empire. He talked a lot of first will be last kind of talk. His movement was especially attractive, especially to the poor and the marginalized and the left out. It was especially troublesome to the ruling class and those who had made their come up off of exploitation. His message in his ministry was about loving each other, caring for each other, forgiving each other, serving each other, controlling oneself, putting others above oneself, loving God and having it manifest through the way that one loved other people. That was his message. For Jesus, the gospel was always social. God in a person's life impacted how that person showed up in other people's lives. Faith in God for him was not about donning a wardrobe. It was not about what you wore. It was about bearing fruit. From an earthly standpoint, he was executed because he was a threat to the Jewish religious hierarchy. And he was a nuisance to Rome's governor of that region. From an earthly standpoint, he was just another radical, rebellious, charismatic, Jewish, poor male that developed a huge following of mostly vagabonds, the dredges of society, the unlearned common people, and then was put in his place by execution and the movement was snuffed out by the powers that be. That's what happened to him on an earthly level. But on a heavenly level, something else was happening. They thought that they were executing a criminal, but they were actually executing the creator. They thought that by crucifying him, it would bring silence, but from a heavenly level, it was bringing about salvation. They thought that they were executing him, but they were actually elevating him because he had said, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. It was his death that brought a chance at salvation to the world because of the death of Jesus Christ. You and me are all right with God. Yeah, he was buried. But as the old preachers used to say, the grave was inadequate to hold him. And on that third day, he got up with all power in his hands. 
Then he walked amongst his disciples for 40 days after resurrection. Then he ascended back to heaven where he is now seated at the right hand of God. And he told those disciples who had run away after the crucifixion, hiding, dejected, fearful. He told those people and convinced them to go out into all of the world as they knew it at the time and make disciples, make followers and baptize them. In closing, Here's a summation about God, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus. God is the head and the creator. He is often referred to as the father. It is God that humankind comes to know first and interacts with in what we know as the Old Testament. Although God is the creator, Jesus and the Holy Spirit were there during the creation. And we know from John chapter one that Jesus was a part of the creative process. Although we can examine the attributes of God, we see that God is all powerful, all knowing and everywhere at the same time, those same attributes should not be applied to Jesus. As a human being, Jesus was not everywhere at the same time. As a human being, Jesus subjected himself to the limitations that come with the human body. He was hungry, he was tired, and he could be killed. All things that cannot be said about God. Finally, in the structure of the Trinity, God serves the function as parent, Jesus serves the function as son, the Holy Spirit serves the function as comforter. There are three superstars on this divine team, and scholars have called this team the Trinity. All of them are functioning in their unique, powerful ways to accomplish their ultimate will on the earth. And those are the basics about God, about Jesus, and about the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you so much for allowing us to jump into your word, to learn these basics about who is God, who is Jesus and who is the Holy Spirit. I pray God that you will um, help us to uh, help these things to take root within our memories, within our minds and within our hearts as we seek to come to know you better. It's in Jesus name we pray, amen.